طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا سيد الاولين والاخرين سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم معلم هذه الامه ومفسر القران فاختاره الله سبحانه وتعالى ليكون خاتم الانبياء ورسوله ورسوله افضل الصلاه والسلام والتسليم عليه وعلى اله واصحابه Assalamualaikum, everybody. It's great to be here, mashallah. Uh, before we start, I just want to say, like, really humbled uh, by, you know, kind of the warmth uh, that we constantly receive when I come. I feel like Irvine's like my home, you know, in a weird way, California, West Coast. Um, so it's always a pleasure to, you know, be loved and be cared for and be shown uh, sympathy and, and, and grace. So, barakallahu feekum. Then pray for my wife because, of course, she's on the front lines, right? She's about to deliver, alhamdulillah, a few weeks. Uh, make dua, inshallah, baby girl. And, you know, the struggle that sometimes our families uh, make for us really is what allows us to, like, scaffold as people, right? So we pray for all of our families, our spouses, you know, uh, those on the front lines who helped us when we were in residency, you know. Uh, yep, you hear the sisters laughing and brothers laughing, you know what it's like. Uh, as well as, you know, old friends uh, and great, great people I've known for years. The second thing is like Sister Sophia, uh, Brother Amir, you know, the staff here at this institution has been like really incredible. Uh, the volunteers, just, you know, the professionalism is like really something, alhamdulillah, you know. So I hope that you can continue, you know, that kind of like. Uh, intensity for being uh, professional. So, barakallahu feekum. And of course, Imam Atif, he's not here, so we can say how awesome he is, mashallah. Uh, my alumnus, you know, someone went to the same school, and how lucky you are to have him and his family amongst you. Fajazakamallahu khayran, ahsan al jazak. So, alhamdulillah, we're going to talk briefly about Ramadan, and then we're going to go through a quick text uh, that was written by the teacher of one of my teachers on reciting the Qur'an properly. Uh, but of course, Ramadan uh, is this special month, the Prophet Atakum Shahr Ramadan, you know, the month of Ramadan has come to you. And then he mentions like numerous narrations that every night an angel calls, Ya Baghi Al Khairi Aqbil, you know, whoever is seeking good, then like accept the good, find the good every night of this month. And of course, then he said, the one who's doing evil, like stop. Then he mentions also that a nafal is equal to a fard, and that one fard is equal to ten fara'id, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And of course, he said, al-siyamu jannah ka jannati ahadikum fil qital. You know, Ramadan is like a shield that protects you, uh, just like someone will use a shield in battle. So it's an opportunity after a year of struggling and trying to maintain our iman. Alhamdulillah, uh, the month has come where we're able to find like a safe and secure place uh, to scaffold, alhamdulillah, uh, our faith and our deen, alhamdulillah. And in the Qur'an we find like three things that I'll just focus on and then we'll segue into the text. The first is that the goal of Ramadan is very clear. Allah subhanahu wa says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu kutiba alaykum usiyam kama kutiba ala ladheena min qabrikum la'alakum tattaqoon Fasting has been prescribed for you so that you can achieve taqwa. And the la'alla here doesn't mean like, maybe, maybe not from the point of God. The la'alla means maybe you, O believer, maybe you 
will take advantage of this opportunity. Maybe you will use the month to improve taqwa. So the first lesson that we take from these verses, there's four lessons, is the importance of individual agency and resilience. And oftentimes we need to be very careful uh, of a world that's framed human beings. And it's interesting because it's a great contradiction, right? That through the possession of worldly things, you find value. But then when it comes to real change and agency, this world reinforces the notion that we have no agency. Like, we're not responsible for how we feel. We, we should just give up in the face of the tsunami of sorrow. And that, of course, makes people conspicuous consumers, right? Sad people, what happens when we get down, we eat a pizza, right? When, when we find pain, we remedy, we novocaine the pain with shopping sprees. So there's this really dangerous position that we find ourselves framed in the modern world. And that's why Al-Busti, uh, Al-Afghani, the great scholar from Afghanistan, who was a student of Sayyidina Shafi'i, he said, Ya Khadim al-Jismi, kam tashqa bi khidmatihi. He said, oh, you who just serve your body. He said, how have you toiled in the service of your body? Atatlubu ribha fi ma fihi khusranu. Are you seeking a repayment of an investment in something that by its nature is like loss, like you're dying, like, you know? He doesn't mean to neglect looking good or the balance of beauty. He means opulence. Then he says, You should turn to your soul and you should learn how to utilize its best qualities. SubhanAllah. He said, it's by your soul, not your body, that you truly reach the epitome of humanity. You become truly human. So the Islamic worldview is very different than something that's anchored in simply owning things and finding value in that ownership. The Islamic worldview is something that says, start inwardly and develop great qualities like treating your spouse well, being good to your kids, being a good neighbor, being nice to people. We know that the Pope, the new Pope, right? He wrote uh, a few years ago on the danger of like unbridled materialism, the impact that it's having on the environment. It's like a very brilliant document. So, as a Muslim community, as a faith-based community, we are not one that derives its value through what it has in the sense of the material to the degree that that becomes intrinsic, right? Naturally and normally, yeah, we all like having an you know, M5. I get it. But to the point that it becomes what drives my value is a problem. And that's why the Prophet said, Ta'isa abdul dinar wa ta'isa abdul dirham wa ta'isa abdul khamisa. The Prophet said, cursed is the slave of money. Cursed is the slave of clothing. And we know the beautiful narration of Sayyidina Abu Hurairah from Sayyidina Rasulullah. Inna Allah la yanzuru ila ajsamikum wa la suwarikum walakin yanzuru ila qulubikum wa a'malikum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't care about your possessions and how you look, but He cares about where your heart is. So Ramadan, 
actually does something very powerful. It says, you know, take responsibility of yourself. And if you, you and I use this month right, and we are resilient in the face of this month, then we will achieve taqwa. And that's why the Prophet said, He said, being rich is not what you have. Being rich is content in your soul. That's why some of the Sufis, they used to say, Oh Allah, never allow me to be poor by feeling autonomous of you. And make me always rich by feeling impoverished to you. That's why one of the highest, maqa highest maqam is the maqam al-iftiqar. Is the station of feeling impoverished to Allah. That's why Sayyidina Muhammad said, Allah mahshurni, oh Allah resurrect me with who? With the masakeen. Resurrect me with the poor because their responsibility will be left less. Of course, no one should seek poverty. That's a problem also, right? But it's not about what I have that makes me rich and poor. It's about where I am with what I have. I've seen people that have nothing that are super arrogant. And I've seen people that are very wealthy who are very content and very service oriented. And that's why when someone came to Sayyidina Imam Ahmed, they asked him, can a millionaire be a wali? He said, of course, if the million is not in their heart, but it's in their hand. Yani. Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Auf is a venture capitalist in Medina. The first place he goes when he arrives in Medina is not the masjid of the Prophet The first place he goes is to the market. Sayyidina Imam Shafi, can yaqulu in kuntum mashhuran bi bas'ala la ufakr fi al-mas'ala? Sayyidina Shafi used to say, if I'm busy thinking about staple foods, I can't think about fiqh. Meaning, you know, I, I have to take care of my, myself financially, but not opulence. That's why Imam Ahmed, when he was asked, what's the condition of the mufti? He said, kafa. You know that they have sufficient financial means. So the month of Ramadan, Reminds us to reformat how we look at life and the world and to understand that by being hungry of the world, by starving ourselves from the world, we become hungry for Allah. So we go into the month of Ramadan hungry for gulab jamin, missing coffee, right? Missing food. But if we practice Ramadan properly, we leave hungry for Allah. The material becomes less important. So the idea of agency and responsibility, kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'ulun ar Everybody's responsible for themselves. Laha ma kasabat wa alayha ma ktasabat. Wa la taziru wa ukhra. We all have to carry our own burdens. And then a taqwa. The word taqwa is from a shield. Al-wiqaya, to protect. So we say in the Quran, that they were protected from hell by Allah. Al-wiqaya. So the word taqwa means that I achieve this protection between myself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment in the hereafter by faith and struggling to do good. That's taqwa. So the outcome of, of Ramadan is that. The second two lessons that we'll take, insha'Allah, is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how the Qur'an builds people slowly. So the verses of, of fasting found in the second chapter, verse 184 to like 187, 
you know, in the second chapter of the Quran. Uh, there is a lot to unpack in the method of ministry, and pastoral care, and education. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya amanu kutiba siyam. Fasting has been prescribed for you. And the companions of the Prophet when they heard al-siyam, they were kind of scared, like what is al-siyam? They had already been fasting before the days of Ashura. So they were kind of like, oh snap, what's next? Then a few words later, the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces what fasting will be. And He does so in a way that builds hope and resilience. It doesn't destroy people. It roots itself in grace and the law. It marries religious commitment with the idea of hope and mercy. It says, It's called a form in Arabic, which means three to nine. Ayyam means like three to nine days. So they're like, oh snap, what's fasting? What do we gotta do? Don't worry, ma'alash, yani ayyam ma'adudat. So the Quran builds an idea of hope. It's just a few days, you got this, don't worry about it, you can do it. Ayyam ma'adudat, yani. Then later it says, Shah Ramadan al-Ladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an huda al-Linas hubaynatim min huda wa fuqan. Then it defines what those few days are after giving people hope and the promise of the ability to fast. It says, Shahur Ramadan, the month of Ramadan. So we learn a lot from these verses. Number one, each and every one of us should not allow ourselves to be controlled by the material the material should not be pushing how we see our relationship with God. Secondly, what is taqwa? And the third is a method in da'wah that takes into consideration that people, a method in teaching people and ministering to people that builds them slowly and gives them hope, helps them find confidence in themselves. The last is that this is the month of the Qur'an. Unzila fihi al-Qur'an that this is the month that the entire Qur'an was revealed to what's called Bayt al-Izzah in the heavens from, from Loh al-Mahfuz and then it was sent to the Prophet over time for 23 years. That's why Allah says in Surah Al-Qadr Laylatul Qadr is talking about when the Qur'an was sent to Bayt al-Izzah but then, and the word anzala means it all came at once. Ajlastu, like I made him sit down. Af'ala. Ibn Malik says, Like understanding the mystery of why the words are formed the way they are gives us the doors to the opening of the language. So the form anzala is af'ala which means at once the Qur'an was sent. Because some people, they read Surah Al-Qadr like, so the whole Qur'an was sent to the Prophet then how come later on it was sent to the Prophet? No, Laylatul Qadr is talking about the night it was sent to Bayt Al-Izzah in its whole form from Lawah Al-Mahfuz and then was sent piece by piece to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that's why when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the Prophet, he says, Nazzala alayka al-Qur'an. Nazzala doesn't mean it all came at once. Nazzala means step by step. 
So the whole Quran is revealed to Bayt al-Izzah on that night and then Iqra comes to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then from there on the Quran is revealed to him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam step by step. It's very important that we understand the importance of the Quran. And our first step in Quranic literacy is to read the Quran properly. And I've started uh, an online institute that will start this July, inshallah, called Swiss, Swahib Web Institute of Sacred Sciences, not the cheese. And we're started pre-enrollment now because unfortunately, even Muslims that we asked to invest were like, okay, give me equity. Like, subhanAllah, man. Like, I'm an imam. How much equity do you think I have, dude? You know, you're the one that has a Bitcoin mine. Give me some equity. And we believe that one of the conditions of being an educator is financial freedom. Because too often, our religious leadership has been so underpaid that they're not allowed to speak freely or to teach freely. So Alhamdulillah, one of the books that we teach in this five-year, two-semester program, which is an entire Islamic studies curriculum, rooted in foundational texts that I learned in Azhar and in West, Af West African system and Senegal, and then married with my background in professional education. For the first time, we hope in English language, you'll have a complete curriculum from A to Z. Like what are the, as we said today earlier, like starting Islamic studies in America is like going to the gym first time. You know, you go to the gym first time, you don't know what to do, you just want abs. You just want abs or other things that we can't mention here. Right? So what you do is you look for those machines that you've seen on TV or you see someone else who you wish you could look like. I've been there and then we go and do what they do. But we don't really know what we're doing. And the proof is as soon as we leave the gym, we smash like, you know, an entire bucket of fried chicken. Because we don't really know what we're doing. Islamic studies in, in the English language, why is it that we don't have a curriculum from A to Z for homeschoolers who are teaching their kids at home? for our Islamic studies teachers that are struggling to find resources, for parents who are looking for after-school options, right? We don't have, where do I start, where do I finish? But not only that, how do we tailor the curriculum to the needs of students? So we talked about this this morning. We may translate text and render classical text into the English language that are normative text, but the questions, we translate the questions too. But those questions were old. Those questions have passed. Like those days are gone. People aren't like bartering donkeys and goats. That's a different time. There's some important things that come out of that for the scholar. But where is the curriculum that focuses on functional literacy? We have dysfunctional attempts at scholarship, right? But where is functional literacy, like functional fitness? So the, the ethos of that curriculum when I started it three or four years ago and putting it together was how do we take these texts that are important normative texts but then allow them to work as a, a public theology, a public fiqh, a public study of hadith, a public study of tafsir. We have private theology, we have private fiqh, but the public's questions remain unanswered. So the goal initially was to translate the text, to render them into English, but then my educational antennas started kicking in. And then when I was on Snapchat with your kids, who I know all about, 
and most of them I'm going to be honest, they ask amazing questions, like mashallah, yani, very beautiful questions. The most common question I get on Snapchat is how can I be closer to Allah? The most common, the second most common question, is it allowed to shape my eyebrows? Yeah, wallahi, I never knew that that was a thing, man. So, what we did is took the questions of the object of that curriculum, like, for example, teens, and we plugged their questions into those texts. So now the text is there, the foundation is there, but the questions that are driving the curriculum are the questions of the public now. So we have, alhamdulillah, working with us, a great brother who's gonna help us on furthering, you know, unpacking that curriculum. We have Hanin who's here, she doesn't wanna be shown, who's a therapist dealing with family issues, so we go through the language, make sure the language of the curriculum is not triggering for people. But then what we hope to happen is that we continue to run focus groups, not only with teenagers, we have a curriculum for teenagers, but what about converts? Like where's the book on fiqh for the convert? Like if you're a convert, you know this. The first day or second day of practicing Islam in your, in your home with your non-Muslim family, you literally will run into 50 fiqh issues. It's literally. And you won't find the fiqh of the convert. Where's the fiqh of the young professionals who are thinking about investments, right? Thinking about financial longevity, thinking about generational wealth. So we created this curriculum in a way that over time, not tomorrow, through focus groups and listening, we plug your questions back into that curriculum. So that book that I wrote, some of you may have it, Essentials of Islamic Faith. If you look at the questions, these aren't the questions I was trained to ask you in Azhar. These are the questions that came from kids on Snapchat and Instagram and parents. So we force also people to have conversations about religion. So for example, the, the question under visiting the graves, it's like, go with your father to the graveyard and ask him, what have you prepared to die? That's the conversation that fathers we should have with our kids. Ask your mother, you know, when has Allah helped her through a difficult time? That's a conversation that we want to have with our parents. Instead of highly curated, successfully uncontextualized stuff. So the goal of Swiss is to create that curriculum that's founded in theology, founded in Quranic studies, reciting the Quran properly, founded in the study of worship like fiqh and ihsan. Those four foundational things at this moment.